Well, as we come to God's Word, i got to tell you before uh, we get into it that um, yesterday morning I was uh, playing basketball and for some reason a guy decided to just like crash into me and uh, bending my most recently repaired knee the wrong direction and uh, it hurt bad. So I stand before you, the knee is wrapped And if it looks like I'm leaning one direction, it probably is because I am leaning one direction. And uh, hopefully it's going to be okay. Actually, one of the doctors in our church uh, checked me out right before last service. And he said, I'm hoping it's more a tweak than anything. And so we'll we'll see how that uh, goes. Of course, after the service, I had a a few well-intentioned individuals saying, aren't you a little old for playing basketball? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we kicked him out of the church and uh, actually we would, have, we would have kicked him out of the church but they were too old to get to the door so uh, they're still laying around here somewhere <laughs> as we come to the fifth command uh, I want to remind us of what we have seen so far in this series on the ten commandments we began in, chap- in chapter one we began in first commandment And saw that God is to be our greatest treasure. God is to be our highest priority. We are not to love anything more than or anyone more than God. He alone has a rightful first place in our hearts. We saw in the second command that we must worship the right God the right way. And that nothing that we make with our hands or conjecture in our minds that is other than God draws us near to God. Only Jesus draws us near to God. And all of the religious artifacts and the magnets on our fridges and all of that uh, might make us feel better, but only Jesus brings mankind to God. We saw in the third command that we are to uh, treat God's name as holy uh, because in our minds God is holy and therefore his name represents who he is and we must value his name. And the fourth command was the most difficult to understand, but we landed uh, with the application of it that God has established us to work and to rest, and that we must follow that creation example, that creation rhythm of God of working and resting uh, in our own lives. Now, notice something about all four of those commands. All of them are vertical. All of them have something to do with man's responsibility, man's duty to God. Commands 5 through 10 are all horizontal. They're all about man's duty to man. And those are not just in random order. They are that way for a reason. I've got to have the vertical right in order to have the horizontal right. I can't just begin with 5 through 10 and say, ah, skip 1 through 4. Let's just, don't worry about those. Let's just talk about man's duty to man. If I don't understand who God is, if I don't fear God, if I don't understand him as the great lawgiver and my duty to him, I am never going to, in any faithful and enduring way, fulfill responsibilities in loving my neighbor as myself. The one is, the one through four are there and they start there and they are the ethical basis for my responsibility uh, to my fellow man. You might think about Jesus' definition. You know, they asked him, what's the greatest command? And he said, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A fair summary of commands one through four, don't you think? 
But then he says, by the way, the second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself, which summarizes commands five through 10. And so you see, then there is an internal order. There is a structure to the 10 commands and they progress in a spiritual, ethical, and logical order from the foundation, which is my relationship with God uh, to the, the, the rest of it, which is my duty to my fellow man. Now, the fifth commandment strikes at the heart and the basis of all human relationships. And it shows us that these relationships matter to God. In fact, let me just tell you what a segment of our church thought about doing. They didn't actually do it because I never received one of these. But I'm pretty sure when I announced that we were doing the Ten Commandments, that there was a population in our church that thought to themselves or they wanted to write me and to say, Pastor Steve, could you skip one through four? Could you skip six through 10? And could we spend 10 weeks on the fifth command? And I, of course, am talking about the parents that we have here in the church. The fifth command is their favorite command. They would love to see weeks and weeks and weeks on honoring your father and your mother. Now, before you say to yourself, well, this isn't a message for me because maybe my kids are grown and gone or I don't have children, I'm single, whatever. Are we not all children of somebody? Are we not all in some measure under a duty and responsibility to honor our father and our mother? I would say yes, that we do. And one of the things that I want us to realize is that this is not simply about the relationships within the home, but really are broadly about a basis for all authority in society and the rightfulness and oughtfulness of submitting to that authority in our life. So it has a lot to say about the uh, family, but a lot more to say broadly. Now, I also want to tell you that whenever you talk about family relationships, we are in a category where there is lots of messiness and there is lots of complication. And no doubt in this room right now, the, the, you know, the fact that we're talking about this, some of you want to vomit, you know, honor my father. Do you know what he did to me? Honor my mother. Really? Okay. And I just want to say that there's no way in one message that we can address all of the complicated uh, outworkings of brokenness and sin in families. What I want to do is I want to teach the command, give some application. And my hope is that all of us as children of somebody will leave here with the desire to fulfill the fifth command and apply it to all of the various situations that our lives are in. Now, with that said, uh, let me read the command in its, uh, entirety. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let me say it again. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. All right, so let's just dig in on the command itself. What does this mean? And notice that this is one of two of the Ten Commands that are actually in the positive. Right? The other eight are, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. And God could have written this one in that negative. He could have said, thou shalt not disregard your parents, or thou shalt not um, uh, ignore your parents. But he didn't do that. He put it in the positive. Here is something that you are to do. This is an, an active verb that you are to do. You are to honor them. 
And clearly, to understand the command, we have to understand what that word honor is. That's the action, right? Honor. What does it mean? It comes from a root word that literally means weight or heavy. I remember when I was in the 80s, and I think that song is from it. Uh, I remember in the 80s growing up that um, one of the things that we would say, one of the little kind of cool vernaculars of the day is that we would say, uh, hey man, that's heavy. Some of you remember that? Heavy was like cool. And so what did it mean when we would say, man, that's heavy? Were we talking pounds and ounces? No. We were saying that is really, that's awesome. That is significant. That's, that's really cool, right? And that's the sense of the word here. Honor your father and mother. Treat them to you always as if they are weighty. They are significant. They are important. Do not disregard them. Do not treat them as if they are not important in your life. Do not ignore them. So with this command, what God is doing is he is establishing a moral and ethical basis for all human relationships. We take all this for granted. We assume that, oh, moms and dads, they love us and we, you know, we try to love them and, and families and grandparents and aunts and uncles and all of that. These are important. Where did all of this come from? It comes from God. It comes from the fifth commandment. God is saying these relationships matter. And I want you to realize this is God that is saying this. Human relationships are important, especially within the family. We've said this all along in the command, uh, in the commandment series that we, we learn about the character of God from the law of God. We learn what God is like by the laws that he gives us. So for example, God is truth and that is why lying is always going to be sin. And God is pure, which is why sexual, uh, uh, infidelity is always going to be wrong. It's the character of God out of which flows the law of God. And so we look at God, and what do we find with God? We find that God is a relationship. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are in relationship with one another in such an absolutely committed, absolutely unified triunity that we rightly say there is one God and that there are three persons in that Godhead Godhead which blows our minds, But that is God, a kind of family, if you want to look at the Godhead that way. In fact, he even uses familial terms to describe it. And so God wanting to bless mankind and knowing the joy that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have within the Godhead, build into the fabric of what it means to be human relationships that are unique and are special. They are based upon the model within the Godhead. So to be specific, what is the triune God like? God is relational. He is relational. Those relationships are real relationships within the Godhead. And what do we find then God creating within this creation? Relationships and family. Family is important. Family matters. And you might say, well, why does it matter? Because God matters. And God has drawn these lines and said, this represents what I am like. God is love. 
and describes these relationships in familial terms. There is a father, God the Father. There is God the Son. They love one another. And therefore, within family, you have similar relationships where there is order and there is authority and there is submission to that authority. In fact, that's the third point here, that the Godhead itself has authority and submission within it. The Father sends the Son. The Son obeys the will of the Father. Now, does that mean the Father is more God than the Son or greater than the Son? No. They are co-equal. They are co-eternal. They share all, all the aspects and characteristics of what it means to be God. And yet, within the Godhead itself, you have equals who function within the Godhead in an orderly and efficient way. The Father is an authority over the Son, and the Son loves it. In fact, if Jesus was here right now and we said, Jesus, what's it like to be the Son under the authority of the Father? He would say, I love it. I love it. It's my joy to, uh, to obey his will. This is a good thing. And God ordained then in the institutions that he establishes in this world, he reflects the very nature of the Godhead by creating institutions where equals function within that relationship where there is authority and then there is submission to that authority. So, for example, in government, God established government in human society. And calls all of us to be in submission to the government. We're to honor those who are over us. In marriage, God ordained in marriage where husbands are called to be servant leaders within that marriage. And wives are called to be helpmates and companions under the servant leadership of the husband. In the church, you have elders who lead and shepherd the flock. And, and sheep, people who follow their leadership. And then in the family, God has ordained that in that family, it is not the inmates who are running the asylum. It is the father and the mother who are in authority within that family and within that home. And children who themselves are precious in the eyes of God, who are image bearers of God, but yet they, they function within that family in submission to the authority that God has established, which is the father and the mother in the home. Now we look at that and, and, and we could say, wow, that's a really great idea. And all people that choose to do it, blessings to them. Actually, I want you to realize in God's top 10, this is number five. Honoring your father and mother is number five. And it comes ahead of more marquee sins like murder and adultery. Which every culture and every religion condemns murder and adultery. And yet in God's top 10, five comes before six and seven. Which means that this is a big deal to God. This is very important to him. Now, I don't have to tell you that we live in a day where uh, murder is still, you know, bad uh, and, and adultery is frowned upon. But honoring your father and mother, not such a big deal in our culture today. 
And, and we can look back into history and see how this is in the process of, of evolution. Even to think of an entertainment examples, which is simple. You know, you go back a little bit, a few decades ago, and it was Father Knows Best, right? And uh, Mr. Cleaver uh, loved his family, and the, and the boys respected him, and, and all, all of that. Uh, to today, it's not Father know, Knows Best. It's basically the kids know best. And the parents are basically clueless and need the children to be enlightened to better ways of living because the children are the ones that know best. And the disrespecting of parents is modeled in the entertainment world, not the respecting of them. Now you could say, well, that's just entertainment. We all know those Hollywood types. They're, you know, they're crazy. Uh, Really? Is it just entertainment? Have you gone grocery shopping at Walmart lately? What do you see when you're in places like that? Is it honorable parents, parenting, honoring children? No. And it's a long ways from that, isn't it? Now, I told my wife that I was going to mention the Walmart illustration, and she goes, I don't know that I'm comfortable with that, because last time I was there, our daughter screamed the whole time. So, bear that in mind. The Apostle Paul talks about what happens in a society when God is removed from the consciousness and the fear of God is no longer at play. There is no lawgiver, therefore there is no law, there is no transcendence. What happens to mankind when you take God out of the picture? He describes this in 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 and 2. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Okay, well, what does that look like? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, and notice, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. What happens when God is removed from a society? Or what happens to the Ten Commandments when you take out one through four? When now there is no vertical thing that's going on and we are simply left to the horizontal realities of this world. What happens when you take God out of that? Now, it is not simply the disrespecting of the authority of parents, but the disrespecting of all authority. Because there is no ultimate authority in the universe. And all authority then becomes power. And my desire for it. And this is why God establishes within the Ten Commandments this command to honor your father and mother. Submitting to your parents lays a foundation for submission to all authority that is over us. And the family is the first place and it is the first test. If you get that one right, child, you're on a direction in your life to submit to all the authorities that you will have over you in your life. And there is nobody that lives without authority over them. Home is the first place. And this is why God says, honor your father and mother. He, does, he, he doesn't say honor, honor the police officer. He doesn't say honor your boss. He doesn't say honor uh, your pastor. He, he doesn't say uh, honor your teacher or your principal. Why? Because a child that honors the authority of his parents will honor all the other authorities in his life. 
If you get the first one, the most basic unit, the family right, you get everything else with it. You know, you talk to teachers these days, and we have many of them in our church. Talk to teachers these days and ask them, what's it like teaching in the classroom these days? And many of them, if not all of them, who've done it for any amount of time, will say, it's much different than it used to be. And if you probe into that, they will say, you know, I spend a lot of my time in the classroom. I'm not teaching, I'm policing. And the teachers here said, oh, we have a few in the service here. And why is the behavior and the general attitude of children now the way that it is? You go home with that child and you're probably going to find the dishonoring child to the teacher is also a dishonoring child to the parent. Talk to uh, teachers. They, they have, they'll have a, uh, you know, some kind of a troubled kid who's doing things he shouldn't and they eventually will call the parent in to meet with the principal and the teacher to talk about the child. And that, that parent comes in now and guess what attitude you often find in the parent? Regarding the teacher and the principal, defending the child in the face of all contrary evidence and saying, you people are the problem. And you see how that kind of generational disrespect for authority is passed on. And then that parent wonders why little Johnny doesn't give him or her any respect either. Well, why should they? They don't see you respecting any authority in your life. Why should I respect you? This was a pretty good command for God to include, don't you think? I think God knows what he's doing. I think he knows the way that we tick and what we really need and what we need to understand. Honor your father and your mother. Now notice that this command has a promise that is attached to it. We don't find this with any of the other 10 commands, but this one has a promise attached to it. The promise is that your days may be long in the land, the Lord your God Is giving you. Now Moses repeats this command in Deuteronomy 5 and he adds this little clause that your day, I'm sorry, not that your days may be long, but that it may go well with you. So Exodus says that your days may be long. Uh, Deuteronomy says that it may go well with you. Does anybody else hear the Vulcan greeting in that? Live long and prosper, right? That's the thing. And you think, well, the Vulcans, they they really understand that. Uh, No, this is God's idea. And where does it come from? It comes from honoring your father and your mother. That is the, the promise. Now, does that mean that every child that honors their father and mother is going to live into their 90s and is going to be wildly prosperous all of their days? No, it doesn't mean that. And clearly there are Children that honor their parents that die young and tragically in this broken world that we live in. But what can we say? As a general precept, a life lived in a willing surrender to the guidance of loving parents is a life set in the right direction with an attitude that will likely prosper that child, not simply in the home, but also in the school and in uh, the marketplace, and in their marriage, and someday, if God gives them children, when they are parents as well. It is an attitude that brings about 
the byproduct of so many other blessings in life. At the same time, the child who says, I know better than my parents, and the child who throws off the authority of their parents and says, I'm going to go in this direction here, is a child who is heading in a direction of pain and trouble. Young people, did you hear what I just said? It makes me think of Mark Twain's quote. I may not have it exactly right. He says, you know, when I was, when I was, uh, when I was 14, my dad was an idiot. And when I was 18, I couldn't believe how much he had learned in four years. <laughs> and young people right now, you look at your parents, some of you maybe, and you think, they are so backwards. They are so not with it. They are so uncool. You make them drop you off at school like three blocks away. They don't drive the right car. You know, they, you're embarrassed by the minivan that you have to ride up to school in. And you look at their clothes and their hairstyles and how old the furniture is at home. And you think to yourself, these parents of mine, they don't, they don't know anything. And what I want you to realize is they are gifts from God to you. And your glad surrender which is what submission is, will in many ways dictate the entire course of your life. Learn the lesson now. Take it from old Pastor Steve. He can hardly stand in front of you. He's leaning on one leg. Who also drives a minivan, as somebody just pointed out? But that has more to do with being a, a, not, not a good child, but a, a good husband, actually. Uh, listen to what Proverbs says about this. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 15.20, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And we look at these verses, and we know that within our church family, we have many parents of unwise, scoffing-type children who have set off in a direction in terms of their moral choices, their faith decisions, and all the rest, they are not living in an honoring way to their parents. And what I want to say to you is that uh, the Lord understands this. And the, the best picture of this, is it not the prodigal son? This was Jesus' story. He understands the pain of a father of a prodigal and the pain of a, of a mother of a prodigal. And God is really good at turning prodigals around. And there is still hope. And we join with you in that desire and in that prayer. And if you're wondering, oh, I don't know if God can bring prodigals back. I'll bet there is somebody near you, next to you, behind you, in front of you. At one point in their life, they were a prodigal. And here they are. At church on a Sunday where they lost an hour of sleep. God can turn prodigals around. And our hearts are with you. In that pain because I think only a parent of a prodigal can understand the pain that that entails now with that I want to say another word to the parents here 
I would guess in the heart of every parent is a desire for their child to honor them. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Hear that repetition of honor. You know, Christianity is very much, it's a faith of honoring. You know, we see that in God where he, he uh, in the life of Jesus, for example, where rich or poor, young or old, it didn't matter if you were infirmed or not. Jesus looked at everybody and he saw in them objects worthy of his love, his tension, and his mercy. And all of us that follow Jesus ought to similarly look at everybody. It doesn't matter their skin color. It doesn't matter uh, their health. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter their prosperity. It doesn't matter their education. It doesn't matter their political power. It doesn't matter why. Because every object of, uh, or every image bearer of God is worthy of our love and our attention. It is an honoring faith. We honor one another. We give respect to one another. And all parents desire this from their children. And clearly, you can go home today, parents, and you can say, you know what, we're going to get our kids. I didn't even know that was one of the Ten Commandments. That's fantastic. And you can yell the Fifth Commandment at your children and think, that'll get them. No, it won't. And you say, well, I'll yell louder then. It won't help. It will not help. How do we... Raise up honoring children. And a huge part of this is by living lives that are honorable and having a faith that is honorable and living an example that is honorable. And nobody does this perfectly. We are all sinners in this. And if there's any parent here going, I'm the example, no, you're not. You are not. And it's all the grace of God here. But that doesn't let us off the hook, those of us that are parents, with the responsibility that we have to live out the very thing that we want our kids to, to, to give to us, which is honor. And so much of this has to do with the way and the attitude with which we live our own lives. So, for example, dads, do you honor mom in the home? Or are you constantly harping? on her and criticizing her in the in the in the hearing of your children and then you wonder well why don't these kids honor me you are not creating a culture of honor in the home wives and mothers are you constantly nagging on your husband the father of your children and pointing out his failures and 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 living and and loving to, and delighting in all of his inconsistencies And then wondering, why don't our children honor me? You are undermining a culture of honoring within your home. It goes beyond this. How do you treat authorities in your life? How do you treat the police officer? How do you talk about your boss? How do you refer to and talk about elders or pastors here? Or or anybody in your life that is in authority over you? As you nag and and speak down on them, you are undermining the moral basis for your children to give honor to you. Better to raise them up. I remember when I was, I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, I remember when I was a teenager, my dad 
uh, called a family powwow. Now, whenever my dad called a family powwow, it meant something big was going on, like we're moving, you know, he's changing jobs, something, you know, something big like that. So we all go to the family powwow wondering what is going on here. And I remember my dad saying, listen, I have come to notice that children, I'm the oldest of four, you are disrespecting your mother. And I want you to know something, that she is my wife, she is the mother of this home, and I will not tolerate that tone, and if it continues, there will be consequences to you. There we sat, you know, like, like this, of course. My mom is glowing. <laughs> because what, what, what did my dad do in that moment? He elevated mom in the home. He honored her. And that culture of honoring and respecting one another is so critically important if our children are going to honor us. So set the tone. Honor authorities that are over you. And your children will pick up on it. Now what I want to do is I want to talk about this in application in the seasons of life. Because the Bible talks about this in the seasons of life. There are, there are duties and responsibilities that children have to their adult parents. There are duties and responsibilities that adult children have to their adult parents. And then thirdly, there are responsibilities that adult children have to their aging parents. And I just want to walk through those three stages of life. So we begin with the children. And uh, children, I hope that you're listening to me right now. I've got a good view of about five of them right here in front of me. I'm talking to you right there. Yes. <laughs> and this young man, no doubt here in the second row is looking at me and he's thinking to himself, Pastor Steve, I want to honor my parents. How do I honor my mother and my father? And I've got good news for you kids. It's easy. So simple. Here's what the Bible says your responsibility is. It is Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, what does it mean to obey? I remember my nephew, some years ago, my nephew was like four years old, my nephew Mark, and one day my sister Barb was in the family room, and Mark came running through the family room with a paddle. I grew up in a paddling home, yes. And, uh, and, and Mark ran through and he had the paddle and he was spanking himself as he ran through and he was saying, obey, obey, obey. <laughs> there was a connection between the experience of the paddling and the hearing of the command to obey. Yes, children, you need to obey. What does it mean to obey? Here it is. Obedience is an attitude of respect that fulfills immediately the desire of the parent. An attitude of respect that immediately fulfills the desire of the parent. Now, there's an attitude with this, okay? And especially you teenagers, we talk a lot about attitude, don't we? There is an attitude. Honoring is the attitude. That is the fifth command. The action, heard this many years ago, the action is to obey. So you honor and you obey. Teenagers, listen to me. It is both. 
If you have the wrong attitude and you do it anyway, that is not obedience to God. And if you have a great attitude but you don't obey, that is also not obedience to God. It is both. So, teenagers, grunting is not honoring your parents. Negotiating is not honoring your parents. Talking back is not honoring your parents. It is an attitude of respect that fulfills the desire of the parent. And all the parents said... What does that mean, Pastor Steve? Is that what you were thinking right here in the second row? What does that mean, Pastor Steve? It means that you do what they ask and you do it happily. Children, let's all practice our happy smile. Can we do that right now? You do it happily. I know what you're thinking to yourself. But I don't want to eat my peas and I don't want to clean my room and I don't want to be nice to my sister. And you know what else? Someday you're not going to want to respect the police officer and you're not going to want to respect uh, your teacher and you're not going to want to respect uh, your boss and you're not going to want to respect your neighbor whose dog pees in your yard. Welcome to the real world. We don't get what we want. So that has nothing to do with it. But eating your peas now with a good attitude might keep you out of jail someday. Eat your peas. Don't hide them around the plate. Don't store them in your mouth and spit them out later. Eat your peas and like it. Okay, so children, it's simple. I mean, you've got the easiest task here. You have a good attitude, and you do what your parents want. Am I scoring big points with the parents right now? (laughs) Yes, I think so. All right. Now, let's move to the next stage. What about as adults? Most of us here are adults. All of us have a father and mother. Perhaps they have deceased now, but we we all have that relationship. What is our responsibility to the fifth command at this stage of life. You know, scripture commands children to obey their parents. I am not aware of any scripture that requires adults to obey their parents. The fifth command though still applies. So the action that the children have of obedience that falls away, but the attitude of honoring remains a mandate as long as my parents are alive. This means not neglecting them or ignoring them, but rather treating them in a way that we hope our children, should we have them, will treat us when we are the older parents. This includes communicating with them and how often we communicate with them. It includes a spirit of love and forgiveness. Because you know what? All of us, when we look at our parents, so many of us, we have, you know, we have a bar for our parenting down here and we have a bar of memory for our parents' parenting way up here somewhere. And we think about all their failures and all the things we think they should have done differently. But you know what? They're sinners. 
And unless they claim to be God, we have to forgive them for those failures. And that can be a hard thing. But we must. How about thankfulness? Is that a way to honor them? How about thinking about, with gratitude, about things that they did for us? I read a a Japanese proverb this week. I may not quote it exactly right, but it said, only when we are parents do we realize the debt that we owe our parents. I've been a parent for nine months. Wow. I'm lucky to be alive. (laughs) I can think of a long list of things I have never thanked my parents for that now I realize their service, their love, their care for me, and all that they did. Appreciation, gratitude, thankfulness. Now, honoring doesn't mean that we allow them to manipulate us. It doesn't mean that we allow them to control us. That is also signs of unhealthiness. But it does mean that they are always special to us. They are always important to us. And we love them and we honor them. Now, this begs a certain question these days. When does somebody move from being, uh, having the responsibility of obeying uh, to, be, to the second stage of adulthood? In other words, when does somebody become an adult? And now I don't have to obey my parents right now. And see, we have 17, 18, 19, 20, nine-year-olds who are maybe asking that question right now. <laughs> so when does that break happen? One clear one in Scripture is marriage. Right? What does the Bible say about marriage? That we leave our father and mother, we cleave to our wife, and the two become one flesh. That that is a moment where now I am no longer responsible to my parents. They're no longer responsible for me either, by the way. It goes both ways. Uh, but I have, I have moved into a new chapter of my life, and I no longer need to obey them. But what if marriage comes later or never? You know, like, or in my case, I, I didn't get married until I was in my 40s. Was I responsible for obeying my parents in my 20s and my 30s and in my early 40s? And clearly the answer to that is no. But why can I say clearly? Because I was on my own. I was making my own way. I was providing for myself financially. I was living under my own roof. These are all adult responsibilities. What happens is you've got whatever age people that are adults living under their parents' roof still, wanting the freedom of adulthood, but wanting the blessing of being a child. And therein lies the problem. So what do we say about that? Well, here's what I say about that. There are a number of unusual circumstances and there's seasons of life and there's things that happen where that might need to happen for a while or whatever. But... When that adult children living under adult parents is a settled lifestyle, now there is something wrong. And parents, I would challenge you to allow your children to create their own life just like you did. And to have some of the difficulty that you had to go through that helped make you the person that you are. Struggling to pay the rent and driving a car you don't want and, you know, living off a toaster or whatever you had to do. But that was part of your story and how you assumed the responsibility of adulthood. Give your adult children the opportunity to do the same. In fact, I would encourage you to insist upon it. 
and don't allow them to continue in that situation. I'd also say parents of younger, of, of children, younger children, let your kids know early on that you are preparing them to be adults who live responsibly on their own. That that's the expectation. And if they balk at that, tell them the only other option is when they turn 18, an arranged marriage. I guarantee they will study harder at school. And you say, well, Pastor Steve, where's that in the Bible? It's in the Greek. I can't get into it right now. <laughs> All right, so adult children, adult parents. Honor them, honor them. Don't have to obey, honor them. Third stage of life quickly. What about... Aging parents. Does the Bible have anything to say about honoring your parents when they are in years of physical difficulty, decline? The Bible actually does have something to say about this. Here is 1 Timothy 5.4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness, that them is the children, to show godliness to their own household, their own family, and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. And and we live in a day where people are living longer. You know, interesting, average lifespan in Jesus' day was like 42, 43 years old. You know? Today, we have people that live 70s, 80s, 90s. is is unusual. So you have... All of this going on, the command was given in a day where you didn't have Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and all of that going on. So the issues are complicated here. But I just want to put out there that even when our parents no longer have, they're not making money anymore, they're not physically vibrant anymore, they are not as uh, communicative anymore, and all the issues that go with older age, does that mean at that point the fifth command doesn't apply? No. We honor them all the days of their life and care for them in those latter stages as best we can in the complexities of the culture that we live in, but we continue to honor them. And that's the fifth command. It establishes authority and relationship and submission at the very root of all human relationships, the family and the parents and the children. It's a brilliant command, isn't it? I hope that this message has helped you to see it. And the goal, and the goal in our church is that we would be a church where there are honorable parents that are parenting honoring children. That's that's where we're aiming. And I hope that God will get us there. I conclude by the Heidelberg Confession gives an answer to what is the meaning of the fifth command. This was written in 1563. It says it well. That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all who are set in authority over me. That I submit myself with respectful obedience to all their careful instruction and discipline. And that I also bear patiently their failures, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Praise God for mothers and fathers and for children who honor them. And I hope all of us are they. Why don't we stand for a moment, and I'd like to just give a little time for you to consider 
How do I apply the fifth command with my mother and with my father? Okay, so I'm just, maybe close your eyes, might help you think a little bit. What does it mean for you to leave this building right now with a fresh commitment to honoring your father and mother? Maybe there is a hurt. There's been a slight. There's been an offense. And that relationship is not what it ought to be. Maybe for you, it means an intentional application of the gospel and forgiving your father or mother. Maybe it's been a long time since you told them that you love them and how much you appreciate them. Maybe a phone call today would be a great application. Perhaps it's a note of appreciation. Here's three things I've never said thank you for, but I want you to know. How can you honor your father and mother? Heavenly Father, and those words are poignant in light of the fifth commandment. Lord, you are father to all of us. We want to honor you. And God, I pray that out of an honoring of you might flow a desire to honor all those that you put over us, especially our parents. God, I pray for the children of our church, that they would be raised and nurtured in the truth of Jesus, that they would come to saving knowledge, Lord, put their heart and faith in him, and that the conduct of their lives and the attitudes with which they uh, live their life in the home would display honor and obedience. God, I pray that for all adult children here, that we might honor our father and mother. And Lord, I pray that in this, you would be honored and glorified. And the blessing that comes from harmony in the home and loving relationships would be ours as we seek to fulfill your will. So we thank you. We give you praise, our Heavenly Father. We give you honor today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.